0: Hello there wrestling fans and welcome to episode number 65 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the twisted genius Dean Ayers and I'm joined as ever by my esteemed co-host, the sports journalist and the features editor of Hooked on Wrestling website, Mr. Liam Happ. Good evening to you, Liam.
1: Good evening and as I mentioned in the last episode, we have done it, Dino. We have claimed our pension. 65, I can't believe it.
0: Amazing. Who, who thought when we when we launched this recording in the toilet, as it sounded, that we would get to the ripe old age of 65?
1: I, I had us finishing up after six, personally. I don't know about you.
0: Well, you know, there's just so much shite from the uh, annals of WCW that we couldn't just leave it there. We are, we will plough on. And, d- does this mean, then, that when we get to 100, we get the Queen on as a guest?
1: Yes, and she has already told me she wants a Vince Russo pay-per-view. Oh, for that,
0: fuck's yeah,
1: for fuck's sake. Yeah, there's no accounting for taste, unfortunately.
0: No, and even when you're the Queen of England, can't, yeah, can't account for taste. Ah, oh, dear. Well, um, we have... Uh, so. so I was going to say we've got ourselves a um, a, a watch along, another watch along with with a, a great guest. But before we get to that, how has day three million of lockdown been treating you?
1: Well, there's been worse days. I, c- I can tell you that with confidence. Uh, it's still incredibly intense because I'm literally trying to do everything at once. Uh, we, we've got the hooked on website off to a great start. I, I'm even having to. To to delegate a little bit of that to an awesome team, so that I can also juggle uh, the child, the four-year-old at home, and a few other projects as well. It's it's crazy, and as long as certain not too bright individuals who were absolutely rammed in Soho at the weekend don't ruin it and give us a second wave, all I can say is roll on September, when we should have schools and we should have a little bit of normality, and. Daddy might get a life again. Don't say it too loud, but it might just happen. You never ever know.
0: Well, well I'm I'm terribly excited at my end of things because uh, as we're recording this tomorrow morning, I am getting a haircut for the first time since February, and I am ridic- I've never been so excited to have a haircut in all my life.
1: And you just buy a set of clippers like everyone else did. No. I've, right. I've,
0: I've, I've let it grow, I'm going to do something different with it, not quite sure what, but you know, see, I'm going to take advantage of this lockdown, have a new haircut for the first time in a decade or so.
1: See, I just I just number one myself, not like that.
0: Not like that, God no. Uh, always have to bring it down, don't you? Yeah. Right, yeah. Shall we bring our guest in? Yeah, why so, not? Yeah, so um, this this is a man who is well, not just one of my best friends in wrestling, one of my best friends in 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 real life, in the whole of life as well. He is uh, someone I've known for over a quarter of a decade. Um, we worked together in, in Hammerlock for a long while, but I'm sure he'll tell us more about that in a moment. And, and these days he, uh, he works for the BBC and he is, uh, he's, uh, joining us using some professional sounding equipment. And I would like to say welcome to Because WCW to my dear pal, Mike White. Good evening, Mike.
2: Now then fellas, how are
0: we? Now then beautiful hull <laughs> greeting there. I
2: thought I'd give you a now then.
0: <laughs> excellent we are we are very well how are you doing uh, yeah i'm all
2: right i was listening to you there just talking about sort of lockdown it does feel like a million or so days since since we started in, in fact the, the last episode because i've kind of been all over the shop listening to your episodes I, for some reason i decided not to do it in chronological order why would you um and i was listening today to the one you did with doug williams mm-hmm. which was right at the start i think was it the 20th of march so right at the start of all this and, and liam you were talking in about getting ready to, to enter the world of homeschooling and here you are what four months down the line and you're still going so that's impressive
1: yeah i'm I'm tendering my resignation from that school unsafe (laughs) working conditions
2: (laughs) we've worked in a few of those
0: Oh, oh yes we have one or two so um for those people who may not know uh, who you who you are and what your role has been, or what there will be many. <laughs> well, well, we've got we've got a, a sizable portion of our audience from uh, from the USA and some in Australia and some in Germany and, and all dotted all over the world. So, uh, because as we have said, Lim, this is a golden age of podcasting. Have you um, said that? You
1: must I have got past so. me, yeah. maybe once uh, okay. or twice.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um. So. So what was uh. What was your time in uh, in British wrestling? Uh,
2: it, it was a fun time. Uh, it, it was crazy at times. I mean, for me, I grew up like you guys and and like many fan of British wrestling. Used to go and see the shows, watch well the sport, all that. Got into the American stuff when um, they started showing that, and, and a neighbour had the early satellite TV and got into it through that. Um, and, and then actually getting into the, the business. Um, I we met obviously in in 95 you you did the fan convention in London it was around the Sabu show at Waltham so I didn't get to the show because we were visiting my, my wife's family uh or my girlfriend as she was then Wendy my wife now um and we came into London for the the um convention and from there we obviously kept in touch and then the following year, beginning of the next year, we, we decided one of our sisters lived in Kent. And I was desperate. I was trying to get into, into journalism. I was trying to get into the media. I'd done college. Hadn't gone the uni route. So that was making it difficult. And decided, right, well, best thing, pepper all the magazines and newspapers in London. But we decided to base ourselves down there and, and went to stay with a sister in Kent. And obviously, that's where Hamlet Wrestling would based. So you mentioned it. You said, well, why not come along? Went to a training session. I had no plans to be a wrestler. It just wasn't for me. I'm too injury prone as Dean knows. Oh <laughs> um, yes. So th- there was a chance to come along, try out being a referee. And that's what I did. I started as a referee, debuted first show in, in Folkestone at the Cliff Hall. Um, and then sort of over time, I, I'll not go through the whole sort of every year, every month, but did refereeing, enjoy it. I think I was quite good at it. Did some ring announcing at times when you weren't available. And then eventually when you left the company and, After that, I ended up becoming sort of a manager, but not just any manager. Oh, of course. Not just any manager. The business advisor to the stars. The
0: business advisor to the stars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And did that for, yeah. So that was it, five or six years
2: with with Hamelok mainly. Then a couple of appearances sort of later on, I got asked to do a couple of FWA shows. I did one uh, with a Doug match, um, Doug Williams match. And um, I think you mentioned, I think you spoke to Doug about his, his tag match, didn't you, with um, for the um, GHC GHC Tag Titles? Yes, I, was the re- I was the there. referee for that one.
0: In Morecambe? What a
2: match! Yeah, what were a you match. Were you the
0: referee that for that? I was. That had completely slipped my memory. I knew you were the referee for um, for the main event of um, British Uprising Three, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I was. At um Coventry Skydome. I'd yeah. forgotten you were at the Morecambe one. I way. did oh, the that... Morecambe one. Yeah. That yeah, because
2: was... the Skydome one, if you remember, the whole story behind that was Steve Linsky got taken out as referee, and the idea was they brought a referee in who knew both of these from their past and, yeah, yeah, and would yeah. call it down the middle. So yeah, that's good fun.
0: Ah, fun okay. times. And and you say about the fact that yeah, you didn't um you didn't uh take want to take any bumps and then <laughs> In a very short space of time, we had we had a three day run with um, Adam Bomb, Brian Clark, yeah, and um, you kind of turned into a heel referee by the end of the tour, yeah. And um, I seem to remember on the last night you were getting a power bomb, which you decided rather than landing flat on your back, you would land in a V shape on your on your tailbone, basically.
2: Yeah. So this would have been my fourth show. So my debut one was. Um, your,
0: was that your fourth show? Really? It was my
2: fourth show. Yeah. So I think I, I think I said February. I think I debuted in March at Cliff Hall. Then they did the um, Hamlock Goes Hardcore. Yeah. Um, that was the second one. And then there was the three nights with Brian Clark with Adam Bomb. The first night I was ill, so I didn't do Tunbridge. So my first night was Maidstone. Maidstone, yeah. And the story there was tag match Andre and and adam bomb against doug and titan who was the big monster heel um the big sort of schmoz everything sort of kicking off and, and basically i ended up disqualifying andre and adam bomb which you know was a no you know the fans hated that and they hated yeah. me and and from, from then on and it would work great when i was the, the doing the sort of manager gimmick as well yeah so disqualified them and then the the, the story was the next night i come out andre and and Brian said, oh, well, I think after the match in Maidstone, they said, we don't want him refereeing the match, rematch tomorrow night in Ashford. Get get down, because it was only, what, half an hour down the road, trying to get fans to come along again yes. to yeah. see the rematch. And I wasn't supposed to be refereeing, so I come out anyway, big smile on my face, standing there as if nothing's gone on at, at Ashford. And they call me out on it. I get on the mic, give Brian a big load of verbal, and then next thing, kick to the stomach. He goes to pick me up for the powerbomb. And I'd never taken one. I mean, I'd been with the company about a month and a half. I'd had a couple of training sessions just to, to learn a couple of things. And I'd just overcompensated, brought my head up too far, and instead of taking a flat back bump, landed in a V-shape. The camera was filming it side on. You see me land <laughs> literally did. in a V-shape. Uh, my lower back has been wrecked ever since. On the plus side, Brian was such a top look. We went to a nightclub that night and he just kept me in Southern Comforts all night and that kind of took the edge off it a bit. But um, yeah, that was my introduction early on. So occasionally later down the line, I'd have a couple of matches to get my comeuppance as manager. But um, that was that was about it for me.
0: I seem to remember, and I think it was in Maidstone, I, I came back to Hamlock to be a guest referee for a match <laughs> that you were wrestling with, with John Ryan
2: in. Yeah, me and John Ryan against Big Tank and Dean Champion, the Kung Fu Kid.
0: But talking of Maidstone, we do have oh. to mention because this is one of my favourite memories in in wrestling. <laughs> full stop. And it was the I think the the best storylines in wrestling are the ones that blend real life yes. with it. And so we'll, we'll come to the details in it. But something had happened to you in real life that we were able to bring into this storyline. Yeah. And we basically um. It must have been, I don't know if it was the same show, if I was just visiting or what, but we basically backstage in the interval, you and I put this promo together and then watched it unfold and work so beautifully, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Off, off you go.
2: <laughs> well, like I said, bearing in mind, they hated me anyway from my time as a referee there. And then when I became the business advisor, they hated me even more. I'd had because it was a leisure centre, so it was a hard floor, there were no ring mats. I've had full cans of coke thrown at me. I've just moved and you hear the thud as it hits the ground. I've been spat at, sworn at. I've been attacked, you know, not anything serious, but they were trying to get to me. So that's great. It means I'm doing my job properly. So they hated me in Maidstone anyway. So I think it was January, probably, we'll say early 2000s, I think, something like that. Might have been 2001 or whatever. So I've had a legit car crash. I'm driving from Kent up to where I live now to see my family up in East Yorkshire. And a 40-tonne lorry decides to clip me. doesn't see me, clips me. I go spinning on the A1, and then he hits me side on. I was lucky. The, The police said I was lucky. So anyway, that's fine. But I did get quite sort of bad whiplash and everything, and I was out for a little while. But we, we milked it a little bit more. So at the time we were doing like the hotline and the the programs and, and there was information in there and they even announced it on one of the shows, I think. So eventually I make my comeback in the May and we decide, right, best thing, go out, do a promo, but do it different. Go out humble, head down, you know, really apologetic. And that's what, and that's what we did. So I, I walk out and the booing starts and they're getting on at me and they could see I'm not being the usual brash, cocky, arrogant self, you know, me, basically. Um, I get on the mic and I start talking about how it's been a really tough six months. And, you know, I wondered if I was going to live and I can still see that that lorry smashing into the side of my car. I really laid it on thick, but played a little bit of the, the reality, in which always works best, doesn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. I you mean, you were, you were on death's door, according to the program, oh, right?
2: Unbelievable. Yeah. I've just managed to sort of climb my, myself out of my sick bed and, and come down. And I I made reference, and I was careful to make reference to the fact that I'd had thank you letters and cards and well wishes from, you know, the fans in Ashford and Folkestone and Margate and and all the places, Gillingham, where we we ran shows, but being very careful not to say from Maidstone. And I just dropped my head down and and, and sort of bit of emotion and then just brought the head up and went, however, and laced into this bunch of, Cretins in Maidstone who showed no compassion and no sympathy for me and just because yeah, I just got them and you you heard it didn't you? People were actually sort of starting to applaud and yeah everything it, it actually they, they really bought it and as soon as I turned they were like bastards he's got me and they <laughs> booed me the
0: out of the place. Yeah, I was at the back. I was up at the back of the bleachers I, I still remember to this day it was yeah. However. Not one card came from anyone from Maidstone. I remember yeah. that was the line that the, that was the, it, wasn't for it? For me, yeah. about
2: it? that was the line. It was it was that sort of brief moment, and it just it, it's great, and that's what I love about about wrestling, how you can toy with people's emotions like that. You know, here I here's this guy who's always gobbing off, and he's 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 just a real pain. And all of a sudden, they they, they felt sympathy for me, and just that brief moment, the head down. And then lifting it up, and that one word, and then they knew that they'd been, that they'd been yeah. caught.
0: And they hated and, you even more for it.
2: And they hated me even more
0: for it, and and it was, it was fantastic, yeah. Beautiful. One of my favorite moments. So um, so what made you leave wrestling? But I mean, that when when did you leave? 2000, 2001? 2001, really?
2: Yeah, you never really leave, dear. You? you know this. Yes. yes. But I did. But I did in the sense that it, things changed for me. I mean, I I had a great job. Um, down there I worked as a a client services manager in a a marketing company call center down there to this day aside from the job I'm doing now which is my dream job it's my favorite job I made some great friends down there and but unfortunately I got made redundant but it was at the time where I was toying with the idea of moving back up because my dad uh, who's no longer with us now we lost him a couple of years ago basically he, he was diagnosed about 30 odd years ago with multiple sclerosis and and he'd had a relapse about a year before that and it was at that point where I thought I I like my life down here but being made redundant kind of said that that something was telling me go back home and and that's why I did so that's why I stepped away from it I probably would have carried on um and I always kept in touch and everything but I had jobs and and the family thing and then my son was born a year later as well so so yeah I would say 2001 is when I properly stepped away and then I made like a couple of odd appearances for, for other companies never for hammerlock apart from the, the the memorial show in 2011 which was the andre baker memorial
0: oh show. yes and when we Locked had uh, where we had a marvelous highly technical brawl around ringside
2: <laughs> we did indeed with my um my then young son and young nephew watching on
0: as i flung you into the guardrails Beautiful. Yeah, so you mentioned restroom. um you mentioned that you you're now doing your your dream job, and for you know what. So uh, for those who don't know, what what is it that you do? So I always wanted to be a sports
2: journalist, uh, and that's what I did. I mean, from from being at school, I, I always wanted to do that. Um, and and then I left school, went to college, did media, and I got an apprenticeship with the whole Daily Mail of sorts. It was kind of weekend stuff and and doing like the whole city junior reports and and non league games and things like our amateur games, even I should say, like Saturday and Sunday league. Um, and, and that was what I thought I was going to be a written journalist and and it didn't happen. I tried to get into it when I moved down, down South, as I said, and I ended up going on a completely different angle. So when I came back up uh, here, I got jobs and I ended up getting a job in Hull. And one of the guys there was, worked at hospital radio, Kingstown radios it was. So I, he said, Oh, look, we want someone on the sports team. Do you want to join it? Did it? Thought that was kind of going to fill the void and, and my opportunity had gone, but that had worked out and I could do a bit of radio. That was fine. And then someone there worked at the local BBC, BBC Radio Humberside, they cover whole Scunthorpe, Grimsby, that sort of area. Um, and just mentioned me to the sports editor and he said, well, getting to put a demo in, do that. And I did. And that was 15 years ago this year. Well, yeah. This August um and i've been there ever since I, I went in initially as a freelancer. i was doing shifts on sport i was doing um production shifts i was what they call a broadcast assistant where you're just helping out the, the producer of a program and uh, i've been there ever since and i've been full time on the sports team 13 years now uh, i'm a what they call a broadcast journalist so i um present sports programs i do commentaries um sports bulletins if we need to attend press conferences all that it's just yeah. fantastic absolutely love it
0: wasn't that what Bobby Heenan called himself? He was, that, and that was – yeah, it was, kind
2: of nice. it was kind of a nice way to sort of morph into that because he was one of my favourites, and I, I would yeah. never say I copied him, but he was obviously someone that was a huge influence on me in terms of the business advisor side of it because that kind of came about a little bit, I think, from – wasn't that what um, – Mr. Perfect was in that that sort of or executive consultant, wasn't it? Executive, so, executive consultant. consultant it's something yeah. different from being a manager. That's what I wanted, and Seaman yes. was a big part of that. So yeah, it kind of sort of fitted in nicely.
0: Yeah. Well, same with Paul Heyman being uh, the advocate for Brock Lesnar, isn't he? Exactly. You know, not
2: something here. different. Yeah. Yes.
0: Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen
2: one, and you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that.
0: Okay. Um. So. Yeah, thank you for it. joining. <laughs> thank you for joining us um, on because WCW. And what show have you chosen for us to cover?
2: Oh, I, do you know I, one of my favourites? But all the ones I wanted had gone. Super Bowl two, I looked at. Doug did that. Wrestle War ninety two, War Games loved that. Even even um, Starcade ninety one, Lethal Lottery. I know it was dreadful, but for some reason <laughs> I liked it. I, I've gone um, Super Bowl three. I've gone a year on from the one. Uh, that Doug Williams did uh, February 93 Super Brawl 3
0: excellent so um so Liam this this is a, a, a kind of a, a point in WCW where once again everything is changing I'm right in saying Bill Watson quit WCW about two weeks before this show
1: yes it's a point in which WCW is changing also known as a WCW pay-per-view so in, in in this in this particular instance, honestly, it feels like every time it, re- it really actually is. And in this particular instance, the Bill Watts experiment, as you would have noticed when we went back and covered shows such as uh, Halloween Havoc '92 with Dave oh, Doyle. Oh God,
0: no! Don't um, remind me of that yeah. fucking awful thing. So
1: <laughs> these things very firmly established that Bill Watts was well behind the times, and yeah. Uh, never we get yeah and we get to this point super bowl three and they've finally washed their hands of that particular mistake um and would you adam and eva what results is what is regarded now as one of the finest wcw pay-per-views ever produced in their in their 10 11 year lifespan so yeah there's there's a lot of interesting things coming into this there are certain people on the card Uh, you know weren't really highly regarded by Bill Watts and there were certain people (laughs) hey son who were (laughs) really highly regarded by Rick Watts and we are about to watch the dynamic shift back to something I don't know a little more sane a little more normal a little more fan friendly a little less ridiculous I don't know
0: I would would imagine that as as it was only two weeks before he that he'd left that you know a lot of the the structure of the show a lot of the matchups would have already been set I mean th- this is the era of pay-per-views where most matches have been a- advertised weeks if not months ahead of time that is it's got fingerprints
2: on it didn't it with a well, couple of
0: yeah. things this is the thing
1: all of that is very true and yet you'll notice as we go along you'll notice certain little things that just so that they, they just show you that um, someone else has, has clearly made a, a few little tweaks here and there from the programme that that are being set up for this, and obviously some of them okay. are some some of them are, are obvious and they make sense. Sting Vader in the main event, you know, we can't get enough of those two guys. They'd already had one or two amazing matches. You know, everyone remembers Vader's crowning moment at Great American Bash '92. That said, that that basically set the the template for what a a valiant babyface champion losing the title to a monster should look like. Um, and there there's a few other matches on here that you know we'll go match by match but there's a, there's a few things you can see they just they've just polished the turds a little bit and yeah there's a <laughs>
2: there,
1: there's a few there's a few steaming turds that just could not be perfumed no matter how hard they tried
0: Okay, well, uh, let's move on. We'll be, uh, it'll be good to uh, to find uh, what these tweaks are as we go along. So it, it is February the 21st, 1993. We are in the Asheville, that's Asheville with an A, Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina. For WCW's first pay-per-view of the year, Super Bowl 3 we're shown a brief montage of Vader attacking Sting with a leather strap before we're told that Sting tonight must conquer the White Castle of Fear, whatever that may be. So we start off with Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt Welcome, to the show. We're told that Ron Simmons is injured and he's out of the US title match with Dustin Rhodes. From all accounts, I think that was a legit injury, wasn't it? Rather than a booking change? Um, Yeah, I, I'm
1: trying to remember exactly. One thing I do remember is, it, unless I'm very much mistaken, they were starting to try to maybe... Turn Ron Simmons heel, weren't they? Yeah, which would explain the uh, the babyface Bayface match, because I don't think he ever actually went full blown, did he? No, but it was I definitely looked it, to be in the works.
2: They were playing it on the the sort of basis that he'd lost the title and he he dropped the belt to to Vader in the December, and I think they they were building. I can't remember if they were building at this point or or if it had happened, but basically, the, the, you know, the fans didn't support him and and show him the concern. That he expected when he lost the title. So, I, yeah. I, I, but I can't remember if the turn had happened by that point, so that it would have been. I feel yeah, like I this don't...
1: match, this match at a major pay per view, United States title, uh, Bayface Bayface. You you would imagine that this would have been the touch paper being lit had it yes. gone as planned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um. Yeah. So Ron Simmons' place will be taken by Max Payne. We're told. Um, Johnny B. Bad then comes down in a sort of nautical themed outfit, runs down the rest of the highlights of the show. Uh, we then go to our commentators for the evening, Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura, who is celebrating his first anniversary in WCW because he debuted, as he mentions, at Super Bowl. Two, which we uh, covered with Doug Williams back on episode 53 if you want to listen back to that. So in true WCW style much like Starcade 90 that we re- reviewed on the last episode we're still not getting on with the actual wrestling yet because Max Payne who is a heel is playing the US National Anthem on his electric guitar which is surely something that a babyface would do. But hey, who cares about common sense when you're in WCW? Our opening match is is the Hollywood Blondes versus Eric Watts and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. So the Blondes come out to their awesome entrance music. Who did we say used this before they did?
1: Everyone. Everyone. Jake Jake Roberts used it at Halloween Havoc 92 because his Slam Jam theme was never actually used. And that was one of the less atrocious ones on there. Uh, That's There were, there were a few, a few quite a few people certain. used it after the Blondes Blitzkrieg. Uh, I think Justin Henry had a really good list. A previous guest of ours from Cultaholic, he had a brilliant list. He he seemed to nail them all down. He had his bingo yeah. card
0: filled. But yes, this <laughs> this one has been passed around a lot. Fair enough. Well, this is their pay-per-view debut as a team, and believe it or not, they only have appeared on three pay-per-views, and at this point, they aren't even announced as the Hollywood Blondes, either by Gary Michael Capetta or on the on-screen graphics. They get a decent pop coming out. Um, their opponents are your stereotypical, outdated, smiling babyface tag team, and I'm sure it'll be drop kicks and arm drags, ahoy! So Bagwell is announced as the WCW Magazine Rookie of the Year. Jesse calls the Blondes the uncrowned tag team champions. Um, the selling early on between Austin and Bagwell is great. They're making a little mean a lot. Watts gets tagged into a chorus of boos and faces off with Pillman he attacks Pillman with you've guessed it arm drags and drop kicks um, Watts gets tagged back back in later on he's booed he clumsily clamps on an abdominal stretch to more boos um, generally speaking the crowd here aren't super noisy but they're reacting to the things they're meant to be reacting to and the baby faces are at least back well. they're getting their pops where they're meant to get the pops and then we have a classic moment of commentary tell you that still sticks in my mind 27 years later (laughs) Mike you know exactly what I'm talking about here Jesse asks why the crowd boo every time Eric Watts gets in the ring which is basically Jesse Ventura's way of saying I can mention this now that Bill Watts isn't my boss and isn't signing my paychecks Um, and Shivani questions if they're saying boo or woo, And it just reminds me, if you're not familiar with this, go and YouTube this clip right now. There's a moment in The Simpsons where Mr. Burns is addressing an audience and everyone's booing him. And he asks his, uh, his assistant Smithers, who is always just a brown noser, are they saying boo? And he goes, no, sir, they're saying boo <laughs> This is WCW's boo moment. <laughs> um... So the Blondes then isolate and take over on Watts, both inside and outside the ring, with the wrestler on the tag rope attacking Watts when the ref's distracted by their teammate. A rocket launcher uh, from the Blondes sees Pillman land on Watts' knees, but he can't quite make the tag to Bagwell. Finally, he does make the hot tag. Uh, Bagwell fires up on both men, and with all four men in the ring, Bagwell lands his fisherman suplex on Pillman, but as the ref is putting Watts back in the corner, Austin leaps off the top, lands right across Bagwell's midsection to knock the wind out of him pillman makes the cover the referee turns around the blondes win the match in 16 minutes and 34 seconds so mike what were your thoughts on our opener
2: a couple of things initially i'll I'll, I'll talk about the the match i mean the hollywood blondes for me i I always loved what they did and and they were really just starting to come into their own here with this anyway where a couple of things that stood out for me apart from the ventura um shivani one which i knew you were going to mention it was as soon as i was watching it again i just that was the thing i thought of yeah the thing that stood out for me with this i loved the bad guy good guy entrance way so they had two entrance ways didn't they and the hollywood blondes came out in one and the the faces came out in another one so that was the thing that, that i loved about this event and it was a bit old school it for me it was like going back watching the old wrestling. Whole city hall, where they used to come one side of the stage or the other, so that was one of the things,
0: yeah. Because uh, normally on pay per views at this time, they had one big entrance with the rampway. yeah. Um, but yeah, and similar to to you, there's um, a venue, it's a nice touch. Um, yeah, it's a venue at um, Worthing, um, where I worked for Premier Promotions, the um, the assembly hall there that had run wrestling for decades, and and they had um, an entrance either side of the stage, basically. So, yeah, heels out one way, babyface out the other.
2: Just a little thing, it's a really nice touch. One of the other things as well, during the entrance, um, Steve Austin's um, robe, his dressing gown, it was a bit short. It looked as though it had come out of the Hugh Hefner collection. You can imagine him (laughs) sort of walking around, you know, the the Playboy Mansion wearing it. the Watts thing, the Eric Watts thing, I mean, he just got booed when he tagged in. Every time, that the fans just were not having him at all. And, and, and as a result of that, Bagwell copped it a little bit as well. The other one, the best, the other bit as well, there was an abdominal stretch put on. And, and I and I know it was WCW, so it wouldn't have happened. I wanted Gorilla Monsoon to pop up and criticise the poor application because <laughs> he didn't put the leg. And it was a real, I just wanted Gorilla to come out. But as far as the match watts had zero personality you'd use the word clumsy he was clumsy looking bagwell always had a bit of fire about him didn't he, in those early days but the offense was really weak looking so it was always when the the blondes were in control when they were sort of managing it when they were, were carrying the match that's when it, it kind of came together
0: okay liam so out of the opener how was this one for you yeah, after the
1: opening indeed, I I, th- I thought we ticked a fair few boxes. Of all the things we've discussed before, you know, you, what we've got here is we've got two pretty pretty basic vanilla baby faces. I mean that in a nice way, you know, bagwell's a little more accomplished than well, a lot more accomplished than Watts, which is which is saying something. But um you you've got two guys that fit that bill going in cold against, you know, two very capable, experienced wrestlers who are great at being entertaining heels as well so it, everything we say about it being a match where you, you don't need too many stakes going in because you save the matches where the live audience are going to react to it for later on in the card and things like that it's a great way to start tag formula plenty, and it's the one match on the card where you can get away with loads of arm drags and drop kicks and things like that so uh, yeah uh, another thing we say about the Artanova it's always nice to have a, uh, a popular victory normally that that involves the baby faces winning, but in this case, going by the way the fans are going. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the soon-to-be blondes getting the victory is the babyface victory. So, fair enough on that one. Um, as far as Ventura goes, yeah, there, there was that obvious little reference to what's being booed. That is, a, that is a sign that times are changing. We said we're going to pick up on some of these subtle hints. Um, another one for me was just Ventura in general, you'll notice he's he's being funny again. He's mm. he's being more relaxed than himself, for better and for worse, because there's been uh, episodes where Dean and I have mentioned that he he, he Jesse Ventura he, he's highly regarded as a commentator but he wasn't perfect he definitely had his flaws and you you see some of those flaws sometimes he he can sometimes get a bit cliché on one track with the with, with the advocating for the hills I think, I think there's a way of doing it he didn't really have the comic chops and the you know the silliness of Bobby Heenan and and yet He he didn't really have the uh, the, the, the subtlety to, to pull it off in bits and bobs. So it would get great in sometimes. But it was good to hear him just relaxing and being himself because, you know, most people agree he's he he is a funny commentator he's, he's better than a lot of the dredge we've heard forced into that colour slot over the years since 1993 so for better or for worse and there's plenty of better he he sounds a lot more like himself compared to some of those more recent pay-views at the tail end of 92 you'll notice uh, the setup as well is it, it's nowhere near as darkly lit as halloween havoc 92 uh mats are starting to crop up again. Things are going back to normal, shall Ooh. we say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it was it was a, a basic match, but then it, it worked around the limitations of the baby faces, I suppose. It, it hid hid their um, weaknesses and and highlighted their strengths. And, yeah. a, and also and the I, template. I, sorry, Liam, I oh, was just gonna tell oh, the go commentary on.
2: thing. Shivani and, and Ventura I thought worked really well. I mean, I'm I'm just watching old um WWF primetime and, and the events around that, SummerSlam 89 and, and obviously Rumble 90, they were the two pay-per-views that they worked together under Vince. And and I thought they worked really well. I liked them as a combination. And I agree with you here, Ventura, compared to what he'd been like leading up to that in a couple of the other pay-per-views, I thought he found his mojo again. He, he, there was just something that clicked with those two. I, I, I liked the combination with them too anyway.
0: Because, mm, I mean, this was also the time that, um, I guess because he was an ally of Watts, but Jim Ross had been completely removed off air, hadn't he? And he, mm. at this point, he was well, he was a couple of months away from joining the WWF for the first time. In a toga. In a toga, yeah. Um, and and I'm presuming, Liam, that that removal from Watts was simply because he was on on Watts's side of the fence.
1: Uh, a little bit that, and also the fact that. Um, Jim, Jim Ross was more than just a commentator. He held a pretty senior position. Yeah. And there were a few people, I think including Shivani, who, who had their eyes on a big job when uh, Bill Watts left. And instead, it, it went to someone who ended up punching way above their weight in the interview, giving a bit of razzle-dazzle, and, and coming in from out of nowhere, having a relatively minor role prior to it, were by the name of Eric Bischoff. Mm-hmm. And I think when he leapt over a lot of people's heads, so there was a lot of talk about Giovanni being disgruntled, but obviously he kept on in commentary. But for Jim Ross, it, that was it. Bill Watts was out. He wasn't a natural successor. He was Gonzo. And then he'd be fired a couple of times before he actually settled into WWE.
0: Indeed. Okay, so we're back with Eric Bischoff and John B. Bad, and they announced that Ric Flair is back with WCW, having finished up with the WWF the previous month. Um, we then have a campy skit where Missy Hyatt tries and fails to get an interview with the returning Nature Boy as he pulls up in a limousine. Back in the venue, a huge We Want Flair chant breaks out, and it's time for match number two. This should be good. Chris Benoit versus Two Cold Scorpio. So this is Benoit's pay-per-view debut. He previously appeared, um, as actually we mentioned in the last episode with Carl Stewart. He previously appeared on Clash of the Champions um show the previous year in the NWA World Tag Team title tournament, tagging with Beef Wellington. Um Scorpio comes out to his awesome entrance music. Um These two had wrestled a number of 20-minute time limit draws on the house show circuit over the previous month, so they're well familiarized with each other by this point in time. Um, Despite being noted aerialists, this starts off with some excellent mat wrestling with the advantage swinging between both men. The crowd are quiet, but not in a bored way, in a more of a concentrate on the wrestling in the ring. Japanese-style way, you might say. Um, A pair of dueling monkey flips sees Scorpio land on his feet, connect with a drop- and a trement with a tremendous hang time that Scorpio always had. Um, In a move that he probably took from Mark Rocco when they're both in Japan, Benoit goes for what looks like a slingshot suplex, but instead just dumps Scorpio's stomach first across the top rope. And given that WCW used steel cables rather than ropes, that would not be too comfortable. Benoit lands uh, later on a spectacular-looking top rope, belly-to-back suplex, but sells the impact of the move on him and is unable to make the cover. By the time he gets over, Scorpio has recovered enough to kick out. Both men are noticeably slower, although the pace of the match has been deliberate throughout. There's another time call, but in typical WCW fashion, you can't make out what's being said to the live crowd. Benoit lands an Enzigiri on Benoit, um, sorry, Scorpio lands an Enzigiri on Benoit with two minutes left on the time limit. There's still not a sense of urgency about this yet. He lands a unique looking corkscrew splash into the corner, followed by a twisting splash off the top rope. Benoit blocks a victory roll with 45 seconds left, slams Scorpio and lands a middle rope leg drop for a two. A small package by Scorpio gets a two count count with 10 seconds on the clock. Benoit attempts a full Nelson, presumably for the suplex. Uh, But Scorpio drops down to a seated position, grabs Benoit's legs, hooks Benoit's arms with his own legs and rolls him up into a cradle for a precision timed win one second before the time limit expires. The crowd popped big for the finish because I'm sure everyone was expecting a time limit draw. Great finish. Mike, what do you think of this one?
2: Yeah, I've always loved this match. And, And it's a bit, in a way, it's similar to the one we keep referencing Doug Williams and the one he, he watched, which was Super Bowl two. And the opener in that was, was Liger against Pillman, wasn't it? And yeah. I think you asked him the question about, is it an all time classic or something like that? And, and at the time it was ahead of its time, mm. you know, us audiences really in the mainstream weren't used to seeing matches like that. So it was, I think when you look at it now with the power of hindsight, you go great match. But you kind of see matches like that all the time now. But the only thing for me, you mentioned about the time limit. First of all, you're thinking, oh, is that giving it away that it's going to end up with a time limit draw? I thought it was nicely done at the end. For me, maybe I'm being overly critical. It could have done with 15 minutes. I thought the 20, because you mentioned about the urgency in it. Mm. It was almost like that that extra five minutes just took a little bit something off it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm being overly critical with it because it was still a great match. It's still one I enjoyed watching all these years on. Um, Some really nice moves in it. There was a couple of things that stood out for me in it. Um, You you mentioned, Liam, you said about Jesse, didn't you, and and how the the subtlety of, or or how he would sort of be as as far as a heel commentator at times. There was one example in this where I thought he was great with it. Jesse called out um, a hair pull, and um, Tony Schiavone referred to a shortcut that Jesse had talked about in match one, but then Ventura just if justified it by saying, well, you told me guys like Tuchel don't take them. And I thought that was just a really nice way of bringing it back around, where he could still be the heel and, and sort of justify why he says it for one person and not for the other. Um, so I like that. I did love the sign in the crowd, which they, they weren't very, not that creative, not, not like the ones you see where... Um, One of our favourites, Dean. Why can't we all just get along? This sign that just (laughs) greatest
0: sign ever.
2: Greatest sign ever for a wrestling uh, wrestling show. But this one just said Chris Benoit with, and it was literally W oblique the awesome repertoire. It was hardly the most creative sign, was it? (laughs) I didn't notice that. I
0: have to say.
2: (laughs) Right, I think it was before it started, just right at the beginning. But um, but yeah, as far as the match. Uh, really enjoyed it, still still stands up for me, uh, I thought maybe 15 minutes would have maybe worked a little bit better.
0: Well it's funny you should say that because um, looking back over the uh, Wrestling Observer for this um, apparently although it was, um, we were told it was 19 minutes 59 the actual legitimate time for this was something like 16 minutes 57 I think was you know, it really? and I think what they must have done and you all know this from uh, an old hamlock trick. <laughs> you call you call five minutes on four minutes. You call yeah. ten minutes on eight minutes. You call fifteen minutes on twelve minutes, which would therefore be about that time that you'd call the, the time limit.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, in that case, I'm talking waffle, but I, so from yeah, I mean, I didn't time it actually. I no, just,
0: I I didn't. I, I mean, I, I, I it, I'm, but yeah, but it just told I
2: mean. it needed a, a couple of minutes off it or something. I don't know. Yeah. I,
1: Yeah, um, you say about the time limit things, yeah, I'm sure there was a subtle way of doing it back in the day, and even clowns like WCW probably used some sort of meticulous method, but you get to modern day and things like Raw Rumble intervals and they just let the wrestlers out whenever they feel like it now, it's just, they don't, they don't even try to measure it down and and yeah, I've, I've seen reports of what the actual time limit for this I think, I think one place I looked up online said it was in the 16 minute region, someone said 18 minutes 20, there was a 17 minute reading so everyone's, I suppose it's everyone's definition of, of when they'd actually hit record, because you, you'd think Seconds tick the same for anyone, but but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it seems to have confused everyone, and everyone's pretty much happy to say yeah, it was a 20 minute match. And one of the reasons they're happy to go along with the the outright fib that it was a 19 minutes and 59 seconds match is because it was so refreshing to have something threaten to hit the time limit, but give us a finish, which is mm. where the suspense comes in. But given that those W, especially in the television title realm would run the time limits so often, so often, so often, there was no suspense. No matter how much they tried to make a frantic last few minutes, everyone knew that the time was going to run out. And they never yeah. even really played into the dynamic of, you know, especially when there was mostly a hill champion on the TV title, you could play into the dynamic of, you know, times running out for the baby face. If they showed a little of that desperation that Rick Rude showed in that cracking Iron Man challenge, uh, Beach Blast, if they, they could have played it somewhere, maybe got them into it. But as, yeah. uh, instead, they just really overdid the whole time limit thing. So that made this finish really refreshing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, and it'd be a little while before we got Benoit full time in WCW, but two and a half years later, and we're doing the Nitro watch alongs now, so we see a lot of him, as awkward as that is in 2020. Um, yeah, he, he would get his chance full time in WCW.
0: Yeah. And um, talking about the time limits, I mean, it is something when I was um, booking RQW, something I made sure that we did. Every match, we would do five minute time calls. For two reasons. One was because then as you quite rightly say, it doesn't telegraph um any time limit draw gimmick. But also if you did a legit time call, you'd, it was actually a great guide for the wrestlers because you, you know if you knew that you were six minutes or eleven minutes or whatever, you know once you heard ten minutes, you knew you got a minute to wrap things up. So um, it it worked, it worked well. It's something I think everyone should do. But, uh, but there you go. There was a, right. a bit of
2: foreshadowing as well, wasn't there, from Ventura in this about Benoit when he referred to his killer instinct.
0: Oh, <laughs> there there was that as well. Yes. Benoit had the he said Benoit had the killer instincts over Scorpio, which um yes, yeah, so that was with twenty twenty eyes you do kind of shuffle uncomfortably at a comment like that. Yeah. Um Okay, match number three. It's Wild Bill Irwin versus Davy Boy Smith. So, this is Davy Boy's WCW debut, having been released by WWF in acrimonious circumstances the previous year. So, I'm guessing at this point, his 90 day, it was about October, November time. So, yeah, 90 day no complete clause would have been up. WCW decided to have him debut on pay per view as a feature of the show. Um, He gets a great reaction coming through the curtain. Um and you know bear in mind this is this is roughly six months after um SummerSlam 92 at Wembley. Um he's not coming out unless, unless there's been an edit on the WWE network, and I can't think that it would be, he's not coming out to rule Britannia, and I'm I'm pretty sure he did he came out to a version of that later on in WCW. Um, but it doesn't really make much sense to not have him because it's not a copyrighted tune at all. Um, anyway, Davy clotheslines Irwin over the top, press slams him once he's back in. He's in total control of what appears to be a squash match exhibition. Um, however, Irwin then gets some offense in on Davy and gets a two-count with a guillotine across the top rope. Davy fires back, executes his trademark delayed vertical suplex. Irwin tries a cross body block off the middle rope, but Davey catches him, hits his running power slam for the three count in five minutes and 49 seconds. Shivani then interviews Davey boy. who says that he wants to become the world championship heavyweight champion of the world. And he also talks about big van Vader's match against the sting. Never, never was his forte interviews. Bless him. Um, Just a quick squash match here, Mike.
2: Yeah, that, that was it, glorified squash. It, it was it was so typical, wasn't it, at WCW, really, to, to deal with a star like Davey in this way, bring him in his first match against Wild Bill Irwin. It's a squash match. It just... It, no real fanfare in terms of how they did it. I just thought it was a real missed opportunity there. Um, as you said, it was weird. Six months on, I was at Wembley where you were, um, and six months on, here he is. Uh, and, yeah, I, I was... It was disappointing watching it back. I remember it at the time, and then looking back at it, you just think they could have done so much more. They could have done that match on a, a Saturday night or a Worldwide or something like that, and then given him a slightly better opponent for the, the pay-per-view or a better opponent for his first match if they wanted to debut him on this. Um, it was what it was, and as you said, the post-match was a bit like this. Ventura um, says he works out with Mick Jagger. Nice way to go for a stereotypical reference. <laughs> um, and then said he looks like a Rastafarian. And he said, um, the, "Mind you, there ain't any that Rastafari- there ain't no Rastafarians in North Carolina." Nice bit of casual racism there from Ventura.
0: Oh dear! Yes, yeah, as we say on w- because WCW, Mike, it was a different time. Mm. <laughs> Liam, what did you make of this one? So
1: I, I might catch some heat from the mostly British listener base, and from the two of you with this, but this whole tone of they should have done. Davy more justice. They should have set him up better. They could have done more for him. Let's face facts. He, he at this stage he's a walking red flag. He's just been turfed from WWE because of his drug use and and the uh, was it the the testosterone levels and the hu- human growth hormone wasn't it? HGH. I can't remember. What, but it was. I know yes. it was,
0: it was drug failures. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and you look at him here and he clearly hasn't jumped off any of that. He's he's absolutely up to his eyeballs, still in the massive meathead look. I think he he got he got a little more tact tactical with the with the supplement use in the. You remember when he like ninety five ninety six after the hill turn, he started to look a little less ridiculous, didn't he? He was clearly still using something, but he, he started to look a little more. Little more slender, little more tone, little more able to move, and yeah, he, he's still a bag of gas at this stage. Uh, you'd think someone like Bill Irwin would be a good interest because I, I've got no problems with the whole idea of giving him a, 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 a stiff as his first thing. You th- think like Anthony Joshua in boxing, for instance, he, yeah, he, 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 you know, like a lot of boxers, he, he fought absolute no names, absolute no hopes. The first. 10, 12 fights, but they still present him like he's a big, you know, he's gonna be the champion. He's a big star, even when he's on the first match of the show, and there's proper established names main eventing. They they give you that sort of trick, I had no problems with that, but I thought this match would have worked a little better because even at, even at five minutes in run left, it felt like it was going on forever. You think he'll be a bit more of an in-out job, a bit more of a smooth put the guy over. Uh, and, and it just wasn't that great. And then, as you guys have already said, the post-match, he he didn't come across like a star at all. He came across like a bumbling goon. So so straight off the bat, this is not looking good. And I feel like there's there's rose tinted glasses because David Boy Smith is our boy, and because he did indeed get a lot better in the mid 90s, I felt. And yeah. we've obviously got a little bit of the nostalgia. We're only six months removed, as you said, from from SummerSlam. So we, we tend to give him a bit of slack, but let's face facts, he did he did not look like the next challenger for the world title here in any shape whatsoever.
0: Yeah.
2: But I he mean, carried a bit of name he carried name value, didn't he? His yeah. name had a bit of gravitas. That's what I mean. I I get where you're coming from. It was it was just off the, the controversy of why he'd left. But I, for me I just thought it was it was a typical wcw way of handling him i get where you're coming from but i i think he had enough name value where they, they've made the call anyway they've decided to bring him in so clearly the issues were a problem yeah do, so if you're going to do it you do it with a bit more a bit more oomph
0: yeah i mean it's bear it's worth bearing in mind that um wcw at this point had already got a, a european uk and europe tour booked for the following month and having david on board made a huge difference to that business. And they ran actually two hugely successful tours in 93. Um, the first one, they, they, um, the ones I went to, the first one was at Wembley arena, which holds about 10,000 people. The second one was the Royal Albert hall where WWF had ran a couple of years ago. And and you could easily argue that they wouldn't have been able to run there or they wouldn't have been able to fill them without, um, without Davy boy. But, one thing where we talk that, that springs to mind here is we talked about the opening match and how they had a basic match to hide the weaknesses of Watson Bagwell. With this, everybody knows that David Boy Smith's forte was not promos. That was not what he was known for. So then, don't do a promo live um, when um, you know when when you've. You know that not his his uh, his forte. It was it was very strange. But another thing I noticed, and, and it goes back to what you were saying, Liam, about the um, about the the lighting and so on, because you're used to seeing Davy Boy Smith in the WWE WWF, it was an environment. Um, You really notice the difference in production values between WWF and WCW at this point when you when you basically pick David Boy Smith up out of the WWF production bubble and put him into WCW.
1: Yeah, and it's something that very few people understand when they try to run opposition. You think, well, I was gonna make a comparison with this debut. You think TNA came after WCW, and they they used far too many people straight out of WWE. But you yeah. had some that worked and some that didn't. But yeah, there is there is that sort of that there is that contrast, that impact it makes. Pardon mm. the bun, that, um that guys just look a bit too big, perhaps for for the new stage they're on. But the the thing for me and the worrying thing about this this whole unveiling of David Boy, yeah, in short term it does business with European too, but in the long term he's coming across much more like Andrew Test Martin in TNA than uh, say a Christian Cage or Kurt Angle, who are very good, yeah. very successful TNA pickups from WWE. Uh this 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 is this is a very auspicious start and as we know it it wouldn't get much better.
0: Well, I mean he'd um he'd have a, a run with Vader, wouldn't he, for the world title later on that year. I mean, but he, he only stayed in W C W for this spell for nineteen ninety three because he had some um he had some legal issues, didn't he? he had an altercation with someone in a nightclub and um I don't know if he uh was released or mutual consent or what? But him and he he parted ways with WCW before the end of the year.
2: Yeah, he was doing the he was back doing the British circuit if you remember. Yes. Beginning in '94, I think I saw him. Was it February '94? It would have been at Hull City Hall.
0: And I would have seen him in the spring, I think, of '94 at Worthing, basically filling the Big Daddy role in tag matches for uh, for Max Crabtree. Yeah. yeah. We then go backstage to Eric Bischoff, who is interviewing Paul Orndorff, but he is interrupted by Cactus Jack brandishing an enormous shovel. Um, Orndorff stumbles backwards through the curtain, and it looks like our next match is on already, which is a Fools Count Anywhere match, Paul Orndorff versus Cactus Jack. Uh, And Orndorff is doing a great job of trying to escape from Cactus, stumbling around with a panicked look on his face. He's absolutely brilliant. Um, He quickly takes control, though, with a swift boot to the head of Cactus, chokes him out with a camera cord. Um, Cactus pulls up the ring mat and tries unsuccessfully um, to sunset flip Orndorff from the apron to the floor. We finally get into the ring. Um, back outside, Cactus takes a wicked-looking bump over two guardrails, arranged in a T-shape near the entranceway, before getting suplexed suplex with his back bending across the guardrail. Uh, it does look very painful indeed. Orndorff starts targeting Cactus's knee, which is in the brace. Um, in the ring, Cactus takes a similar bump to before with a suplex that lands him across the top rope and buckle. The brace is removed from Cactus's knee completely, and Orndorff clamps on a figure-four leg, leg lock. Um, He uh, hits Cactus with his own knee brace and Cactus falls from the apron flat on his back to the floor. Orndorff takes a steel chair from ringside, uses it multiple times across Cactus's knee. He then signals for the pile driver onto the chair. He's blissfully unaware that Cactus has got his shovel back. He smacks Orndorff over the head with it and gets the three count in 12 minutes, 17 seconds. Uh, and then we hear Cactus's awful WCW slam Joe music that we thankfully had escaped at the start of the match. Mike, what were your thoughts on this one?
2: I I really enjoyed this. Um, you know, every, it'd be easy to sort of look at this and say, oh, well, it was all about Cactus and and the bumps he was taking, and everything else. But I thought Ondorf played his part in terms of how he worked in this. As you said, his his, his facials, the visual side of it was fantastic. That that initial fear and and backtracking, which really sold the Cactus Jack gimmick. And, and that was a lot to do with it, wasn't it? Apart from yeah. the bumps, a lot of it was that aura around Cactus at that time. Um, and I thought Ondorf was perfect. He looked in good nick as well. Didn't he? I mean, what was I think he was 43, I, I checked at this point. So he still looked in good nick as well. But he, he played his, a, a part in this. My only issue with it um, was, you know, you said about towards the end, you mentioned about the, the chair to the leg. It was the Marty Giannetti at Royal Rumble 93 moment for a little while because he took the chair to the wrong leg he'd been working on the right one and he and he started hammering the left leg and i thought the commentators might have picked up on it ventura is usually really good with stuff like that and he, and he didn't you know even if it was just he's trying to take the other one out so that he's got nothing to stand yeah it, it's a minor thing it was just i'm you know stickler for details and it, and it's important i think in 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 the wrestling business obviously um but apart from that, I, I loved it. Really good match. It, it paced nicely. Few big bumps in there. The few whos and ours. The things you'd expect from Cactus. But as I said, I thought All North played his part perfectly as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, I don't know what you think of this Liam. To me, it didn't compare to like some of the epic brawls Cactus would have with Vader or in tags with the Nasty Boys the following year. But it was, um, yeah, it was still a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good effort in highlighting those bumps that he was taking.
1: Well. They're good examples you bring up, and yeah, they're examples that are probably sit above this, but I think a good match to compare this to is another singles, false count anywhere match. Maybe the one that really set the tone for Cactus's uh, matches of this type in W, which was the one versus Sting.
0: Yeah, beat last night's
1: count yeah. anywhere match. Now, that match is a good comparison to this because you've got two guys in Sting and North North who are not tailor-made for this you know vader can do the physical style We can well, we're going to find out when we get to the main event he can really take some licks in a physical match uh the nasty boys ta- absolutely tailor-made for it but n- maybe not so much sting and alldorf and what makes cactus in those matches is that sting and aldorf were absolutely game and it was very crucial because you get someone else who's who, who's not that sort of typical performer who's very reluctant to go along with it and it can really kill it dead and that sting match was crucial to cactus as like a a main event start near enough in the the periphery of the main event hill this match is just as crucial because if you remember this is straight after the babyface turn at one of the clashes where uh, Harley Race is putting together a little motley crew, and he's got Orndorff, and he's got the Barbarian, and he's got Cactus Jack. And Cactus went off piste and and ended up turning face. They ended up kicking kicking the Barbarian out, just kicking the Barbarian out just because he's associated with Cactus was a that was an angle I always enjoyed as well. Um, but this match for me, this is one this is one of the underappreciated gems of the entire those genre of all the matches I that see. didn't get the 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 respect of an Iron Man challenge or War Games ninety two this for me is right up there and you can tell if you if you look very carefully and I wouldn't recommend it unless you absolutely have to just enjoy the match but if you look very carefully you can see Orndorff misses a few of his cues which is understandable given what I just said you know it's not his it's not his favoured waters uh but work rate and effort wise he was just 10 out of 10 and as a result, because it's there's, there's one of my, one of just one of my absolute favourite little things personally, in wrestling, is seeing when a heel does turn babyface. Uh, if, if it's done right for me, it's when they, they continue being the absolute sod they were as a heel, but they yes. just do it. They do it to people you hate even more, and it's exactly. gratifying. And Cactus here is just as. Uh, unstable and unhinged as he was for the last two years and he's doing it to one of the most hated men on the roster and there's something about that and that really puts this over the top. So everything about this I really appreciate Uh, and yeah, I recommend it to anyone who hasn't caught this. You've got to watch it. It's it's an underappreciated WCW gem.
2: Absolutely agree. Don't forget, less than two years ago, these two were on the UWF beach brawl event here they are (laughs) on... Super Brawl as well. So. Are we getting oh, another okay, Herb
1: Abrams segue? We can't get enough of those. You're not <laughs> yeah, a guest you unless a you... Yeah, you're not a guest on this show unless you segue into Herb Abrams.
0: Exactly.
2: That's why I thought I'd bring it up. I just, you know, it's a nice Rite of word. passage. You
0: passed. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> um, that, that dark side of the ring about Herb Abrams is, is just oh, tremendous. Wow. I've
2: it's... not seen it. I need to catch it.
0: Basically the TLDR version of it is promotes wrestling show does, does loads of Coke with hookers wrestling show fails dismally. He, he lo- loses loads of money, rinse and repeat. And then he dies. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the, Think the, the of the a pound shop
1: Scarface, basically.
0: <laughs> Absolute two <two-bar> pound shop <laughs> hokey Scarface. Brilliant. Ah, oh, beautiful. Right, so match number five. This one, so this one is coming from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So there was some kind of cross-promotional deal going on here. Is that right? At oh, this time? oh, yeah. There always
2: was. Up,
1: they? Yeah. Jim Cornette spent the entire tenure of Smoky Mountain Wrestling finding deals to keep it going. Basically.
0: Because they did deals with um, WWF, because I remember they had The Undertaker coming in for one of their big later,
1: shows. Later this calendar year, they'd be in bed uh-huh. together. I mean, didn't, right. this, didn't this very match happen at SummerSlam? Or, no, that was the Steiners like, actually <laughs> defending against, yeah, the, so the Heavenly Bodies has got a tag title shot for WWF tag titles at SummerSlam, I think.
0: That's right, yeah. So um, Bobby Eaton is introduced as part of the Heavenly Bodies, even though he was never part of the actual team. It was always Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane um, until jimmy del rey came in obviously um this match is part of a cross-promotional deal as we said with smoky mountain however the promotion never gets mentioned by name um although jesse does say that this show is happening in the heart of the smoky mountains um the rock and rolls get a great reaction coming out which isn't surprising because we're in the old nwa heartlands of north carolina so um Eaton gets sent to the back to prevent him from interfering uh, Morton hits what we would now call a hurricane runner on Pritchard, which shows that he was always ahead of the curve, as he was doing uh, Canadian destroyers just last year. Um, some good double team moves early on. See the rock and rolls in charge. Cornet ends up taking a couple of bumps, but then gets revenge on Morton with a tennis racket shot on the outside. And one thing I noticed here, and and you'll appreciate this, Mike, is ordinarily you'd want the manager to have done something heelish, so that the fans want to see him take a bump as revenge but everyone in the building and everyone watching on TV know exactly what Cornet's like anyway and what yeah. he's done in the past so you get away with it
2: yeah absolutely that's it Cornet's reputation goes there anyway doesn't it so it's yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Before long we're in the match pattern we're also familiar with uh, the heels have uh, isolated the master seller Ricky Morton in their half of the ring and they're working over him Nick Patrick doesn't see an inconsequential tag between the bodies and insists that they tag in front of him which is a nice touch that makes the referee look credible um, although the commentators completely miss it. Um, Morton manages to uh, counter a bodies double team and the double DDT and he makes the hot tag to Gibson. The bodies again try and double team on Gibson. It actually looks like Morton misses his cue because they basically do the same thing twice but then Gibson evades and Morton gets back in the ring and they double clothesline Lane land their trademark double drop kick on Pritchard. Morton and Lane are fighting so the ref is dealing with them. Meanwhile, Cornette gets thrown into the ring over the top rope by Gibson. There's all kinds of Chaos going on inside the ring. The referee is distracted again. Eaton runs back into the ring. He tries to come off the top rope onto Morton, but Morton moves. Eaton lands on Pritchard, and Gibson, who is the legal man, makes the cover while Morton grabs hold of Lane to give the rock and roll express the win in 12 minutes, 52 seconds of organised chaos. What did you make of this one, Mike?
2: What's not to like about this? I've written down at the end, fun match. And I put a bit old school. And I don't mean old school because it's 93. I think even by then there was a bit of a formula in, in terms of tag matches, certainly in WCW at that time. And, and it took you back even more with, with this, a nice little throwback. And, and I loved it. Um, As you said, the Rock and Roll Express still getting a decent pop. There was the Rock and Roll chant early on. I, I, it was nice to see that. There was still that, 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 that you know, that their characters had, had carried over a couple of years down the line from the, the real peak. It was nice to see Morton, doing what he did best after that couple of years as, as Richard Morton, which was just, yes, yeah. um, just nice. I've written here. There was a nice little spot um, and, and you know you see it a lot, but you know, the, the buffer in the corner. So they go for the, the posting and the um, Robert Gibson used it as a, himself as a buffer. And then the bodies tried it and it didn't work. And it was just little things like that. And the crowd loved it. They were lapping it up, um, you know, the, the little comedy spots, but, Initially, I cringed at it. There, there was the comedy sort, you know, the crisscross, where, where Lane sort of did the crisscross himself, and then yeah. Cornet bumps, kick, Cornette gets chased, he comes in and bumps, but it was perfect, because it was at that point that it just swung the momentum, and then Cornet uses the racket and everything else, and, and it was nice. It was just so, for me, it was just a really fun match. I enjoyed watching it.
0: Yeah. I mean, they had, as you say, Mike, they, they had the crowd absolutely eaten out of their hand for this one.
2: Yeah, they did, and, and took them with that took high and the low, and as you said, I mean, it was Morton was always perfect, wasn't he, at the, the face in peril? Yeah. I mean, they, they made a career of it, and then Gibson coming in on on, on absolute fire uh, for the hot tag as well, but they did, they took the crowd with them, and the crowd stayed with them, didn't they, as well, that was the good thing, um, they were buying into everything they were doing, I, I really liked it, a fun match, bit old school, as I said, but um, yeah, it was entertaining. There A couple of things in it, I, I did like, there was a line from Tony Shivani where he said double chokehold, and Ventura just went, that's twice as bad as a single chokehold. <laughs> nice, <laughs> yeah.
1: Liam, what do yeah, you make of this one? Yeah, there, there's the signs of the old Ventura fee- feeling like he can be himself commentary without <laughs> yeah. with, without uh uh, a, a certain boss breathing mm. down his neck, and a certain friend of that boss sat next to him on commentary, you could say. But um, yeah, you guys made repeated references to this being old school, and it's funny. I've just I've just gone from mocking Bill Watts, who was fired for being too old school. Uh, there, there seems that, that, there's kind of a rule, and this goes across all of entertainment really. if you are going to resort to a a a a novelty a nostalgia novelty like an old favorite something like that obviously number one yeah maybe not have the whole show like it and have it like as this one match palette cleanser like this is uh more importantly number two is you don't have them try to debut new album stuff You have them play the fucking hits, and they they went out there and they did the sort of match, but at this stage in their careers, they can do in their sleep, and Mm. there was there was nothing like you know you, you think of the guys like AJ Styles in, in modern day wrestling who are always able to add something on top of the match you know the Kenny Omega's the, the Okada's whenever they wrestle the same opponent they manage to like add another level each time they, which is great But with this one, they absolutely did the right thing in just hitting the right notes, playing the classic, sticking to that basic formula. And as you guys say, the crowd, they up with a spoon. This was absolutely the right time not to change a damn thing, just to stick to what they do best, maximize everything. And it went down the treat as a result and and it offered something entirely different to the rest of the show.
2: Can I just add by the way another Ventura line just off the back of that that made me chuckle he asked because Dr Do- um, Tom Pritchard was Dr Tom wasn't he Dr Tom yeah. Pritchard he says is Dr Tom a doctor of gynecology
1: <laughs> this is the same commentator who showed up to Halloween havoc dressed as a gynecologist so yeah that checks Indeed. out
0: yeah Okay, so match number six is uh, for the WCW United States title. It is Max Payne challenging the champion Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Payne is billed from the state of euphoria. Nice. So he's only been in WCW for a couple of months. Um, bit of an odd choice to fit in for Ron Simmons, but maybe there weren't too many other heels who weren't already booked on the show that could have stepped in. And the thing that gets me here is he's wearing an awesome-looking long leather coat as his entrance yes. jacket. But when he removes this, he's wearing this terrible-looking black singlet and sort of three-quarter-length tights, and he just looks straight out of a low-budget indie show.
2: Yeah, that uh, stood out for me as well.
0: Yeah, it just didn't look—it didn't look in keeping with the the image for WCW. And you'd think, you know, as I said, he's been in for a couple of months; they could have got some gear made for him by this point, surely.
2: You could almost hear the voice of a grizzled old promoter, couldn't you, saying to him, work on your ring gear, kid.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So this gets off to a slow start in front of a quiet crowd. Um, Rhodes spends a lot of time working on Payne's arm. Payne throws Rhodes across the ring, whipping down on his arm hard. And um, the funny thing with that is they were talking earlier on in the commentary about the Irish whip. And the move that Payne did there on Rhodes... Um, although Rhodes didn't take it in the same way as he's done in, in Britain and in, in Europe, is that that is the original Irish whip. And I'm sure you'll remember this from the old world of sport days, Mike, where a wrestler would whip their arm down, yank down hard on the arm like he did on Rhodes, and the wrestler would just take a, a flip bump and land on their on their back. And the it was always sold by Kent Walton that you had to go with it, otherwise it could break or break your arm or separate your shoulder out yeah um and that was the irish whip Mm -hmm. and given that Payne had wrestled extensively in germany he was uh, buffalo peterson i think he called himself in in the cwa obviously loads of british wrestlers in germany i would imagine that's where he got it from um there's a fair few empty seats in front of the hard cam, which shows I think people have taken this match as a bit of a break. Um, it doesn't seem that they're overly familiar with pain at this point. And also, they're probably a bit confused because they saw him playing a cool as fuck guitar national anthem earlier on in the show, but hey um, Rhodes hits a big lariat out of nowhere to so a small pop followed by a vertical suplex, he locks in an abdominal stretch, Payne grabs the ref, pulls him into him, pulls the referee into him and Rhodes, and the referee calls for the bell in 11 minutes 28 seconds, Rhodes wins by disqualification what did you make of this one Mike?
2: Awful three exclamation marks two underlines <laughs> <on the> <laughs>
0: Kind of work for you. Dreadful, just awful thought... match, awful finish.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the, yeah, the finish was a shocker. There wasn't even any slight. I mean, it, you, can you build towards a DQ? Yeah, I think you still can in in some way. Yeah, just a shocker for me. Um, I, I always I, I liked Rhodes, but there the were times where sometimes he didn't have great matches. I think stand I stand to be corrected. Did he have a one with Rick Rude that didn't quite live up to? the sort of expectation and you would have expected a bit more, but I don't mean that's on roads all the time. But I was, yeah, I was disappointed with this. Max Payne was still trying to find himself as a bit of a character. I was never really sold on him massively. I know he had those matches um, with the Nasties and and, and Cactus. Um, but for me, he just looked, it looked like a cross. What well, he should have been in Spinal Tap and, and a beefed-up Russell Brand. <laughs> and just, yeah, wasn't happening for me. As you said, the, the look as well, the singlet just screamed indie wrestler. A couple of boring shouts in it as well, which they went wrong. Um, yeah, didn't enjoy that at all.
1: Yeah. It's it's uh, funny, Mike, you mention Dustin Rhodes and Rick Rude because that, that pretty much sums up the the situation Dustin finds himself in at this point in time. Because that match, if I remember correctly, that match was an Ironman challenge for the United States title. Uh, yeah. So Rick Rude had held the US title for over a year. Injury meant he had to vacate it. So Dustin Rhodes has picked it up by not beating the long-reigning champion. That in itself takes a little bit of credibility away from your accomplishment. He's yeah. then attempting to follow on from Rude, who obviously had a stellar time as the US champion. Um and you know, by this point, you know, there's there's no more shouts of nepotism coming Dustin's way. He has established himself as a very good wrestler, as a good babyface. He he's earned his his crust as a standalone, but being the US champion is another level up and just nothing's going his way. Case in point, he here he is. Uh, and you'd imagine maybe a feud with a hill turned Ron Simmons could be that thing that gets the US title scene going without Rude, but that's gone, and in his place is... Uh, you know, I'm not going to repeat everything you guys said, because you're spot-on with all of them, and that's exactly the problem that Max Payne has a challenger, and that transfers on to Dustin Rhodes as well. They have a miserable match, and, and as a result, the, the, the title reign of the natural is just... It's dead in the water, and by the time he gets to um the challenge from uh, returned from injury Rick road uh, he he looks like he doesn't belong, and it's a, it's a pale imitation of. And it wasn't a terrible match from what I remember against Rude, but it's a pale no. imitation of that absolute banger Rude and Steamboat had at the prior Beach Blast. They're doing you know the same match type, the same pay per view. It's it's just stuck in the shadow of a great match, and Dustin Rhodes' entire title reign is stuck in the shadow of great champions. When we know with retrospect that he absolutely can be a great US champion. Yeah. so it's such a yeah. shame to see and this is yeah. the this is the height of that uh, missed opportunity for him
2: yeah I mean, and, and it's easy to rewrite it, we can try and rewrite history it, it didn't happen but as you said you think about what Simmons was like and the kind of fire that he showed and, and the way he worked and everything else and, and you would have imagined it, well it would have been it would have been a different match, it was the wrong opponent at the wrong time and it just didn't work and unfortunately Dustin Rhodes is the one who kind of comes out of it with a bit of a blemish because you're looking at him, even though he's still young in his career, you're looking at him to to lift it a little bit, and and he couldn't, he couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, Simmons didn't uh, cut it as world champion, obviously, but he could have absolutely made Dustin Rhodes at US title level. Yeah. He could yeah. have been he could have been Chris Jericho level of coming down from world title reigns that, that didn't last very long or didn't work out as, as, you know, wasn't the guy. And then Chris Jericho jumped straight back down to the secondary title and just work magic and make stars. And Simmons could have been that guy for Dustin.
2: 100%.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, I didn't get here is you've got Johnny B. Be Bad being a kind of a host stroke hype guy. Surely, Dustin Rhodes v Johnny B. Bad, unless he was injured or something, but I don't think he was. You know, Johnny B. Bad against Dustin Rhodes, Babyface v Babyface, for the US title, that surely would have been a better choice than than Max Payne. It was just a yeah, very odd choice. But
1: then mm. maybe they didn't want to do Bayface versus Bayface because, as we said, it, di- it didn't feel like that was going to be all she wrote about Rhodes Simmons. Yeah. It probably would have been the Hill Turn match. So maybe they didn't want to do a flat Bayface Bayface, and they, they, as you said, they, they had to look at who was available, and they've got this newcomer. They don't want him to lose because he's just started. Uh, they want to establish him as a threat. And ironically, his first major feud was come shortly after against. John, you'd be bad. Uh-huh. Remember the bad oh. blasts to the face? I do indeed. Yeah. All the masks,
2: isn't yeah.
0: So, um, Rick Flair is then introduced to a huge reaction as the prodigal son returns to WCW, although uh, he wouldn't wrestle for, uh, I think he wouldn't wrestle until June, the Clash of the Champions. So, that seems to be a 90-day job again. Um, so whether he may be able to negotiate something where he was allowed to appear but not wrestle, I don't know. But um, I guess yeah, cause it... this was about
2: a week or so after the um, the Raw at the Manhattan Center, wasn't you it? Against
0: Mr. Perfect, you know, I wasn't perfect
2: it? Perfect, where he'd lost it. Yeah. Yeah. I, d- I did like with this, by the way. He had security detail with him, which was a nice touch. And yes. And two women accompany him, obviously. Uh, obviously did you so. notice one of them had Max Payne's hair? <laughs>
1: I can't say I did. Maybe she should have challenged for the United States title. (laughs) Got a better match.
0: Yeah. Um, so Flair cuts the Ric Flair promo and it is now time for match number seven. It's the NWA World Heavyweight title, Barry Windham against the champion, the Great Mutar. So Flair joins Shivani and Jesse at the commentary desk and they make a thing of the fact that Flair and Jesse are together for what seems to be the, either the first time or the first time in a long time. Uh, Mutar is accompanied by Hiro Matsuda for no apparent reason. He doesn't get involved or do anything else in the match. Um, Mutar had won the belt the previous August in Tokyo from Masahiro Chono. Um, Chono had won the vacant title in a tournament in Japan, and the title had been vacated by Ric Flair. Um, you remember when he came, back to, came over to w, WF with the big gold belt, and then that got pixelated out and replaced with a tag team belt? Um, the
2: real world's champion.
0: The real world champion, indeed. So this one starts off slow, plenty of mat work. It's being presented as more of a legitimate sporting contest in keeping with what feels like a prestigious, or what they're trying to feel like, a prestigious title match. Um, now, apparently, Muta was suffering with flu, so, between that and the long plane ride, I'm not holding out too much hope for this, and it is headlock city so far um mutar lands drop kick windham pops back to his feet, and mutar immediately takes him down again with a grounded headlock um, and at this point, this is continuing the <clears throat> Great tradition of NWA title matches on w pay pay-per-views between an American and Japanese wrestler where absolutely fuck all happens. And yes, Liam, I am referring to Halloween Havoc 92. Um, Muta goes back to a headlock in front of a silent crowd. Wyndham hits a DDT out of nowhere, uh, but he's been bored so badly he can't make the cover. At least I think that's what happens. Um, Wyndham clamps on a sleeper hold to a mild pop. The sleeper moves from a vertical base to a horizontal one. Wyndham puts his feet on the ropes for extra leverage. Um, this hold has been on for ages but Mutar isn't going out which is more than can be said for the audience I reckon the popcorn guys doing a roaring trade at this match with 20 minutes gone. They're trading chops and punches It's then back to the headlocks Mutar gets a two count with a sort of cross body block stroke flying elbow Wyndham takes Mutar over to the corner places him on the top rope ready for a superplex but Mutar blocks it Windham falls to the canvas Mutar lands a flying chop from the top rope, followed by a handspring elbow in the corner. He then lands a clumsy looking backbreaker to set up for the moonsault, but Windham moves, and in that moment, you can see why Mutar's knees are completely fucked these days. Um, Mutar again hits the backbreaker, and this time, Windham gets his knees up to block the moonsault. Um, He hits a DDT and gets the three count in 24 minutes and 10 seconds to become the new NWA world heavyweight champion. Flair gets into the ring and straps the belt around Wyndham's waist. And once Wyndham realizes who's doing it, he turns around and stares down Flair uh, to set that match up. And Flair would beat Wyndham for the belt at Beach Blast in July of that year. Mike.
2: Yeah disappointing. It it was a match you would have expected more from. As you said, there's the the factor of um, Muta having flu, apparently. But what was Wyndham's excuse? For me, he looked lethargic. The the match itself, it was ploddy. There was too much stalling. You mentioned about the headlocks. It it really dragged. I mean, at 20 minutes in, Wyndham puts on a reverse chin lock, and I'm just thinking, come on. Um, It was just, yeah, it was a disappointing one. You you knew... it was an odd one as well, wasn't it? Because you've got the situation where Wyndham had turned heel recently, anyway. You knew he was a heel as well because he had a goatee. So that's always. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got the great Mutai, it's Japan. And of course, it's in America, and we hate Japan. And so that kind of. But so there were a few Barry chants in there, and then they turned into boring chants not long after. Um, Bit of casual racism from Jesse Ventura. Um, Muta won't get any sushi for a year if he loses. The <laughs> yeah, track. yeah, that's wow. I saw that. Wow, how does that jolt now? Um, the end sequence was nice. It was the it was block superplex, and then Muta went into his sort of routine, didn't he, with the handspring elbow, the backbreaker, missed the moonsault. Although the, I think his leg hit the, hit his head. He went for the moonsault again, gets the knees up in the finish, as you said. So the finish was nice but 22 minutes to get you to that point. <laughs> yes. Um, th- Liam mentioned earlier on about things from the Bill Watts era that we were just starting to see go. It was interesting because they did the the referee bit at the beginning, didn't they, where he announces the rules, and, and they stressed that this match was under NWA rules and stressed yeah. that we the, the wrestlers can come off the top rope. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Scorpio had and, and Benoit had in the, in the second match. Yes. So that that's another thing where all of a sudden that thing that was already starting to work its way out anyway. Another stupid rule from from Bill Watts. So, um, yeah, I was disappointed. Wyndham was a, a couple of years on really because they'd done the, the big match when Flair had gone in, in the summer of '91, and they put the belt on Luger. Yeah. Would that have been the time to go with Wyndham? For me, yeah, I was disappointed with this.
1: You know what? I think. Uh a bit of casual racism from Jesse Ventura is going to go up there with the art of the opener and sheer Vonnie watch as a regular segment <laughs> because it's, it's getting to that stage. It's showing up on every, you know, this is certainly not the first, uh, pay-per-view with Ventura commentating that we've had references like this usually tends to stick to, to, to crap like, uh, the, the car industry, doesn't it? Oh, who's going to get to make the cars off shut up
2: for crying out loud. Um, You You can watch some old WWF 1989 and some of the references about Jimmy Snooker, then you'll realize uh, how bad it was. Yeah. But yeah, so, so we've got another, another addition
1: to our list of matches between an American wrestler and a Japanese wrestler that were massively, massively disappointing. And, and we've heard people talk about those sort of matches and speculate the, you know, language barrier, jet lag, things like that, and they're all valid excuses that get brought up when suggesting why these matches always seem to disappoint. Uh, they would be, at the very least, in instances where the wrestlers do fuck all. And this is not one of those matches because this is this is just a massive block of nothing. And how depressing is it when when Ric Flair just showing up? does more for the crowd and does more for the show there than everything they do between the ropes. And we're talking about the lack of opponents for Dustin Rose killing his US title reign. You think about it considering that Barry Wyndham turned on Dustin to go heel seeing those two wrestle over the US title, if there it, if it wasn't an oversaturation of, of belts, because we're now embarking on over a year of having two world titles in WCW, which is one of the biggest running jokes when people talk about how ridiculous WCW was, one of the favourite go-tos, was that whole mess and the time they they actually only referred to as the big gold belt and world title, NWA title, international
0: title. International, yeah. It's such,
1: it's such a mess and if that thing was never an, an issue and they just maybe quickly brought it in did the unification, that's it. And the US title was the second most important title on it. Maybe we would have had a, a series of barn burners between Rhodes and Windham and that would have established the title and dusting. But instead, we get this shower of shit. Ah,
0: let's move on. Please. Well said. Will, will we will we ever get a good match where a Japanese wrestler is flown in, especially for a WCW pay-per-view? Only it?
1: if it's Liger, it seems. I think he's the only one who gets it done.
0: We we did have a good one at Starrcade eight ninety five of um, Eddie Guerrero and Koji Kanamoto. That was a good one.
1: Yeah. Liger on that show as well. He was yeah. always consistent. Until, until we got to the point where he was flown in to be booked by Vince Russo and he was getting tequila balls smashed over his head, Liger usually delivered the goods in the WCW yeah. ring.
0: Liger was superhuman, that's to be said. So um, we're about to get to our main event, but we do before then go, we've had throughout the pay-per-view, we've had these brief clips um, these, of this white castle of fear um film. And um it's something that actually one of uh, one of our listeners did tweet us about because he he asked um what our opinion of these mini movies they did because there's that one there was Beach Blast 93 which we haven't covered yet and I did say that you know we are about to cover this um this pay-per-view with the White Castle of Fear. So I mean, to me, it was all rather unnecessary, all a bit campy, and I just wanted to get on with the match. But I know I'm a miserable sod. Um, Mike what, and Liam, both of you, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on these little mini-movies that they do?
2: I, I didn't like it. I, I just looked, because, and especially it was gimmicky, it was hokey, it was cheesy anyway. And what relevance did it have in the end to the match? Absolutely deadly squat. So, yeah, not for, not for me two words it sucked <laughs> yeah they 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 all sucked
1: uh you think we're, we're now in an era where you have cinematic wrestling and it's very polarizing but my word at, at least when cinematic matches are done, even when they're done and they're they're not very good at least the the, the production is generally quite slick whereas with these ones you can tell they're using like a different level of, of cameras and a different setup of cameras that you'd have live in the arena. But it still comes across as a sort of movie that Turner... Uh, you know, with all the movie channels Turner had at the time, you know, their movie channels would turn their nose
2: up at anything produced like this. Yeah. It made Hogan's films look like blockbusters. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because <laughs> also, I remember there's one of the Halloween Havocs that we covered. Now, that, that where was where
1: funny, because... Tony she- yeah.
0: is basically... Would be arrested by Operation u these days if that film came out. 91.
2: Yes. 91. 91.
0: Thank you. Was it 91? Yeah.
2: Before. I think yeah.
0: that was... Change that that mini-movie...
1: No, the mini-movie was 93. We've covered both. But that mini-movie was at the start of 94. Because this was the era of the mini-movies, if you remember. Uh, Halloween Havoc that 93. Makes, actually, that
0: makes a lot more sense
1: on
2: the timeline.
0: Uh Was that? Was well, that... He was just well, He
2: yeah. just got trick or treating or something like that, wasn't that?
0: Yeah, Beach You're right. Beach Beach Blast 93, Havoc 93, Super Bowl 3. Yeah, it's all this. It's all this year, isn't it? Because
1: yeah. we we've covered 91 and 94. I think and we've done all the yes. Halloween Havocs because they're so popular. So Not, popular, yes, Don't it's... blame people for picking them. But I think it was 93. Was it? Was it John Lister we had on for that?
0: Yes, I think it was. And um, uh, that was the mini-movie. Um, yeah, 91 was EWW's Stu Allen, um, and 93 was John Lister, yeah. With, of course, Mike, one of our favourite matches of all time, the <laughs> opener. <laughs> <Break it laughs> off. Off. Oh, man. What a classic.
2: That, it, it, that wasn't the art of the opener.
0: No, No, we we would often watch this match in isolation before a pay per view just to make whatever we're going to watch feel better in case it was bad. uh, Sports shits
2: and giggles.
0: Yes, that match should be isolated. So it's time for our main event. It's not sanctioned by WCW. So it is therefore not for Vader's world title. And for once in WCW, the rules are explained before the match begins by Gary, Michael, Capetta to win the match. You must touch all four corners in succession. So this is the white castle of fear lights out leather strap match between Vader, big van Vader and sting. Um, so vader comes out wearing a white fur and satin cape which looks magnificent but doesn't quite to me fit his character um shivani runs through the storied history between these two before the match begins of course these two would trade the wcw world heavyweight title the following month on their european tour with sting winning the title at wembley arena in london with myself in attendance before vader won it back in dublin at the point six days later um And like we've discussed previously with with likes of the Flair v. Rhodes feud or the Steamboat v. Rude feud, these two have got characters that are such polar opposites. They work so well together. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There was just a chemistry with these two, wasn't there? Like you said, in terms of the characters, the absolute hero, the, you know, Everyone's favorite, and then what Vader represented—the big bully, pushed his weight around, beat everyone up, and and the, the chemistry they had in the ring, it just worked. I, I I never got bored of watching these two work together.
0: Yeah, I never think they get the credit that they deserve because you know I've I've just grouped them in there with Flair v. Rhodes, Steamboat v. Rude, but it you never hear Vader and Sting getting mentioned in those upper echelons for me. No. Well, um, so so the match begins. Um, Vader starts off in charge, pulling Sting around using the strap like a tug of war. Um, he then lands a splash off the middle rope, gets tangled up with the strap, though, allowing Sting to low blow him with it and knock Vader off his feet to a big pop. He then lands a middle rope clothesline and a big top rope splash, uh vader is selling things dead weight um sting then turns vader onto his front and whips him with the belt in revenge for vader's previous attacks on him in t on tv we saw at the beginning of the show uh race takes his obligatory bump off the apron but it's a minor one i reckon he'll probably be back for a proper one later because as we know liam it is a contractual obligation for harley race on pay-per-view
1: yep it's written
0: into the paperwork
2: Doesn't he look like he could still hurt someone at this point, though?
0: Oh, God, yeah. Um, Sting uses the strap to pull Vader into the ring post, shoulder first. He then slams Vader onto the floor. Uh, He's dragging Vader around the outside and touching the post there, which we're told is perfectly legal. Um, Vader pulls Sting into the guardrail, though, breaking the momentum. And this is the thing that keeps getting emphasised. You've got to touch him in succession, not have your momentum broken. Um, Vader's back is cut to ribbons at this point, presumably from the the whips with the uh, with the leather strap Um, back in the ring a stinger splash is countered twice by Vader's trademark vertical splash Um, a powerbomb attempt is countered with the backdrop and the crowd are absolutely eating this up Vader hits a Vader bomb splash starts whipping Sting with the strap he then lands a Samoan drop off the middle rope Vader makes his first attempt to touch the corners after about 15 minutes Sting kicks him in the head after two corners to stop the count um vader then misses another vader bomb he goes up top but sting yanks on the strap vader loses his balance and crotches himself vader lands a superplex starts touching the corners he gets to three but sting wraps his legs around the bottom rope and breaks the momentum sting later hits a tremendous looking german <clears throat> excuse me german suplex on vader followed by a ddt um sting's got a cut on his forehead at this point but it looks hard way Um, Sting hoists Vader up onto his shoulders, but in doing so, Vader's boot hits referee Nick Patrick in the face. Sting is touching the corners with Vader on his shoulders. Um, He gets the three, but then trips over the prone Nick Patrick, which is a spot I really like. It's a novel idea. Um, Vader is bleeding from the ear, and uh, if you've ever cut your ear, you know they bleed like nobody's business, and he is pouring blood. Apparently, according to the observer, at least, it was a blade job, which seems a peculiar place to cut yourself, but he did have to go to hospital (laughs) afterwards. Um... Vader ties Sting's feet up with the strap and drags Sting to the corners. He gets to three, but then Sting holds the bottom rope and a tug of war ensues. Sting kicks Vader, who then falls into the fourth buckle. And even though it looks like it broke the momentum, Nick Patrick says that that was the fourth buckle and calls the match in Vader's favour in 20 minutes, 54. Um, What do you make of this one as the main event, Mike?
2: (laughs) I'm going to pick up on that point because you you only because you've referenced it and I don't want to sound like I'm picking up a flaw in a match that other than that was was such a joy to watch, but I you said there it seemed to break the momentum. So earlier on he'd hit two, Sting kicks him and that ended the momentum. This time he does three posts, Sting kicks him and he falls into the fourth one and that ends the match. That surprised me, just because of how good these two were that. That was, do you know what I mean? It was just a little thing that I was, I, I, thought there would have been a bit more on top of that. But anyway, apart from that, loved it. We've already said what we feel about Sting and Vader. They, they just had that chemistry. It was stiff. It was brutal. The fans were lapping it up. Um, Vader's back was bleeding from, the, from the, the shots that he took. There was one point when Sting was whipping. I don't know if you saw that they, they did a crowd shot. And there was a middle-aged woman furiously gesturing, whip him! <laughs> <laughs> and I did, covering his ears, because it was obviously too noisy, just looking at this woman in bemusement. <laughs> she was getting completely carried away. I just loved it. But it showed how people really bought into what these guys were doing. Um, it, yeah, it, it just... It, I, I liked it. it really, I, I understand why it was... They made it non-sanctioned, because it was supposed to be brutal and everything else. But if Vader was going over, why not put the title up? The title, for me, the title should have been on the line on a, a what was classed as their their big pay per view of the year. I don't know. Is that is that me? Just, am I just being overly critical there? No,
0: I know, what you, I know what you mean. Um, but I suppose if if you're um, billing it as non-sanctioned, it it wouldn't make sense to have the title. But then. The reason you often have non-sanctioned matches as well as, as just foreshadowing that it's going to be brutal is where you've got a match that where if you want the world, if you've got your world title match, but you want something else to be the main event, because NXT have done this before as well, yeah. where they had um, the Champa Gargano matches as um, non-sanctioned. Yeah. And that's just to put that on last, but not take anything away from the from the world title because then you know the the show has officially finished at the previous match. Yeah.
2: But when it's your champions, and I, I, I you're right, I understand it, with it being non-sanctioned, that's why it wasn't on the line. But the, for, could they not have got around it in some way? It's it's a little thing that was all. I did like the fact that um, Vader, by the way, was wearing the giant haystack sheepskin. Um, <laughs> t- two years before uh, haystacks w- would show up. Uh, in WCW. I did like that. I'm
1: going to have to check the watch-longs now to see if he's wearing that exact same thing. What's that? Lo- well, I, wa- <laughs> yeah. I wonder if Lock Ness would show up on Nitro in that thing. they just fished see, it out to be, backstage.
0: Uh, to, to be fair, when when he was in WCW, he never had any kind of entrance garb on, whereas in, in the UK, Haystacks would have like a... Sheepskin yeah, thing. A sheepskin kind of... Um, Shrug. Yes. Yeah. Or or just a sheep, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> size of me. just 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 spatchcock a sheep and drape it over his shoulders, basically. Why not? Well, one small one
2: small thing as well, and it's it's something that always bugs me when I see it is the adjustment of wrestling garb while selling a move. and <laughs> Vader did it.
0: Terrible for it. He's he always terrible.
2: was. So he got pulled. It was on the top, and and Sting yanks him off the top, and he lands. He doesn't sell the bump. He adjusts his trunks.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it made me chuckle.
0: But, I mean, yeah, you, Liam, you you compare this to I mean, the, the previous show that we reviewed with Carl, Starcade 90, where we had a bull rope match, so a similar kind of match between Lex Luger and Stan Hansen, and it's chalk and cheese, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm running out of patience for that stipulation. I've never—I don't think many wrestling fans have have been a fan of the whole touching turnbuckles thing.
2: Uh, I hate refereeing them.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm sure the idea is, oh yeah, it protects them, but uh, if if you're going to run a a, a a no disqualification stipulation match, grow a pair of testicles and put a finish on it. Uh, And especially in this instance, we've had, there have still been recent examples where uh, matches like this run the bloody uh, four turnbuckles crap, but there have been a few, I I remember Rock and Triple H did a strap match (laughs) where it was uh, pins and submissions. And that was pretty good. Um, there are some other ones that I'm struggling to think of, but there are there are a few examples of of places realizing that you can run a strap match and just do pins and submissions, and it'll be absolutely fine because you still have the dynamic of them being within proximity of each other, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah, there there were pinfalls in the dog collar match between Piper and. Greg Valentine, weren't there? Which is what I was yeah. going to uh, say was that I'm wondering if, if they, the blade in the ear was an homage to that. Oh, because that was another true. ear blade job. And I think they do it because they know that a lot of blood's going to come out. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously not done very often because it is a, if you think about it, it's a bit queasy. Uh, yeah.
0: But I think the thing I really liked about this is, as well was that they made the strap... Add to the match because it's so easy to to actually have that as a restriction, but they worked it into the match so brilliantly.
2: Yeah, it meant something, didn't it? That yeah. was it. It wasn't just there as a as a as a prop that you know almost an irrelevance. You're right. They they made it work. They made it the, the third, almost the third person in the match, for want of a better expression.
0: Yeah, and when Vader got crotched on the top rope. The reason that he got caught was because he went to go through the middle rope, realised to go to the outside, realised that he couldn't because of the strap, had to then clamber over the top rope to then go to the top, and that extra time gave Sting the chance to recover, and they really, yeah, I think they really worked it into the match brilliantly. Really, really did enjoy it, and and another thing that I remember from. From watching at the time in 1993, when um, so I would have been 17, you'd have been the same the same age, um, Mike. That this was why I preferred WCW to WWF because you think about what WWF were putting on at this time, you know, WrestleMania 9, uh, Royal Rumble, yeah, you know, yeah, Hogan come. Hogan back again, and Brutus Beefcake, and Yokozuna, and it was all very fat. And Giant Gonzalez and the Undertaker, it was all very, very family friendly. And then you had WCW with a strap match with Vader as your champion, pissing blood all over the place. It was, it was a totally different feel to things.
2: Yeah, it was, and and it. Um... For me, it, like, we we didn't see um, the, the matches straight away, did we? I think, the, was it in that year where it started getting shown on
0: DSF, the German channel, yes. if, you had, if you had satellite? Um, um, I think, no, that was...
2: It was certainly in 93, but whether it started then, I'm not sure.
0: Okay, I'm just going to say, I remember, yeah, it was sort of 94, 95 time, but I wasn't sure if it was uh, that early on. Maybe it, no, it was.
2: Yeah, it was 93, because I remember seeing the the mini-movies with the... um with sting oh, okay. vader Bulldog, and, and sid um but it was that. You, but you, you would read about these shows so you had to, you had to then wait till they came out on um on video release and and there was a there was a sort of you know that desire you, you couldn't wait for them to come out whereas you said the wwf product at that time was getting a bit tired a bit you know too clowny pardon the pun with doink and everything else but yeah i i, I know where you're coming from I, yeah. I did i enjoyed the stuff they were putting in.
0: But um, overall, overall rating of the show for you, Mike?
2: Uh, I, I think it was a solid B plus.
0: Well, he's got he's got letters, excellent,
1: <laughs> Liam. Yeah, I mean this is this is absolutely worth watching for anyone who, who wants to check out WCW. There is some dredge on the show. It won't be WCW without a bit of dredge, would it? But <laughs> the the good far outweighs the bad, and yeah end-to-end, even with the bad matches on this, it does bring up, if if you're really into wrestling, I wouldn't show like Dustin Rhodes, Max Payne, or uh, Muta Windham to a casual fan, but if you're you're into your wrestling, it's probably worth checking out and and doing a bit of background uh, research on anyway, it's fascinating in a a completely different manner so absolutely watch Super Bowl 3
0: Yeah, I mean we've got okay, we've got a couple of duds, yes but we've got a big return in Ric Flair, a big debut in David Roy Smith, two entertaining tags, and, and a, an all-time classic main event. Fantastic stuff. definitely. And Cactus
1: Orndorff. Don't leave that out. That's my favourite.
0: Cactus Orndorff, of course, <laughs> How- yeah. great stuff fantastic well thank you mike a great pick and really uh, yeah we we have sat through some utter shite that some <laughs> of our guests have picked in fact not just our guests we once made the mistake of asking our twitter followers which pay-per-view out of a choice of of four they'd like us to uh, review never again and no, they uh, we we picked you know three good pay-per-views and one absolute shocker just for shits and giggles, and the overwhelming majority went for the one that was awful, and I just wanted to gouge my eyes out with a spoon. But um, yeah, we we learnt our lesson. Didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we definitely. did
1: it. We did it for shits and giggles, but by the time we had to watch it and review it, there were no giggles, just plenty
2: of shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad this could raise the bar a bit.
0: Well, thank you very much for raising that bar. Now, before we let you go, of course, <laughs> uh, we always ask our guests to pick a WCW theme tune and then you know give us the reasons why. So, uh, Liam, you have got the tune queued up there. Yes. Okay. Well, if you could press play in three, two, one. <laughs> Please tell everyone, Mike, what is this tune and why have you picked it? <laughs> I know why you picked it. There is a bit of a background
2: it. to it. I'll tell you what I picked first and then I'll give you the background to it. So How can you not love that? Listen to that, that that sprang of the, the steel and the electric guitar. How can you not love that? From, on, on the Slam Jam album, that was one of the better ones. All right, a little bit cheesy, but it was one of the better ones.
0: Uh, I think kingdom. the only reason you could not love it is if you're a member of ZZ Top wondering where the fuck your royalties are.
2: You want... <laughs> or I think, so, I'd seen someone suggest it was a rip-off of a, an old Boston song as well, which was called Smoking. Oh, and, so I, heard, region, it, I smoking. heard
0: it was ZZ Top's Lagrange. Well,
2: maybe a bit of, a bit a of, bit of everything. Yeah. So yeah, they might not be too pleased about it, but, but I love this one. And, and not just because the song was quite catchy, Dean, you and I, over the years we've
0: travelled,
2: <laughs> okay. we've had a habit of... You get a bit bored, don't you, when you're travelling on the road and going to the yep. and everything else. So we would come up with things like, I don't know, remember we did Wrestling Big Brother um, for in 1s, yes. and, and we used to come up to, with lyrics for, for various songs. Um, and this... Sometimes it'd be like mainstream songs, and we'd, we'd put a wrestling slant on it. Uh, this one, we you just, mean
0: like your viscera thrown out of the rumble to the <laughs> tune of Driftwood by Travis. Travis, that, yeah.
2: exactly, those kind of things. And what was it, um, No Selling?
0: No Selling, Triple H, Colt plays Yellow. Yes, <laughs> uh, I did a job, I did a job for you. On Raw and Smackdown 2. Too, but you we were no, no selling. Yep. <laughs> yep.
2: So this one we thought, we, we changed the lyrics to a bit of this, didn't we? And now if you, some people might remember the Wyndham family had a bit of a checkered past.
0: Well, not Barry. We just, should stress this. Yeah, I was just about to say Barry not, was no. He was, he was fine. not
2: involved.
0: It was uh, Bob, his dad, Blackjack Mulligan, and Kendall Windham, his brother.
2: His brother, yes. Um, who were sentenced, weren't they, for counterfeiting? Yes. Uh, so the
0: line from the Wait, song. I'm is, just, I'm just going to Google quickly to make sure that they did actually. Uh, no, they were.
2: I've checked it. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. So the line, the first line, it takes about a minute to get into. It. It's a big intro, isn't it? And then the first lyrics are: "Big and tall, lean and mean. He's a Texas fighting machine." So we <laughs> thought we'd go: "Big and tall, yeah. lean and mean." He likes to print. He likes the to print. print. Countless Countless green. Print. His daddy was a fighter. His brother is two. The three of them, three together, of them together. print, print are the buckle of buckle
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Do you know I haven't. Said that. I haven't said those words for like 25 years. And they have just popped straight back into my head. And that is
2: how sad Dean and I were on these road trips.
0: Yeah, this is why only a few people travel with us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and usually when we get together, I should point this out. So my wife, Wendy, she's known Dean as long as I have. And, and he is like one of the family. He's like a brother. Poor whenever he comes to visit. Or when... Exactly. <laughs> but whenever we get together for the first time and this starts and this, and, and my son loves it, doesn't he? From being a little and he'd love it. To <laughs> yeah. And Wendy just looks and goes, and so it begins. <laughs> and that is why.
0: Oh, Brilliant shit, stuff. Yes, it was the, it was the, uh, the Hammerlock Horseman. The car was me. <laughs> you, Adam Muscles Mansfield, and Justin Richards. And I must now say, Mike, that now you have been on, you have completed the set, and all four Hammer horsemen have now been on because WCW.
2: I'm honoured and privileged to have uh, been able to complete the set. Now, seriously, i loved it. Great to be on.
0: It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, before you go, if people want to... uh, get hold of you on social media. Where can they find you?
2: Uh, on Twitter, particularly at Mike White Sport. Uh, I usually talk a lot of waffle on there. A lot of it, about local sport, but I comment on other things as well, including wrestling. Um, and I'm on Instagram, but I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm a proper boomer. I've not really got into it properly, but um, yeah, I'm on there as well. I think it's the same, same profile name, Mike White Sport. You can find me on there. Come along, follow me, say hi, whatever you want to do. Uh, good to see you on there.
0: Awesome. And uh, of course you can find us on Twitter at because WCW or on facebook.com forward slash because WCW. Please do give us a follow and do subscribe and rate and review this podcast. Uh, help us get those numbers up. Well, I think there's only one thing I can think of, Liam, that we haven't, uh, we haven't covered yet.
1: What's that, Dane?
0: Well, Mike, Mike is there? Yeah, he's a he's a BBC man. He's he's got his proper professional microphone and audio equipment. His proper BBC training. He hasn't Uh-oh. sworn once.
1: Yeah, he he's it's, very it's much in professional mode, isn't he?
2: I'm yeah. all for accuracy. I think you'll find I did at least once or twice. Accuracy, as please.
1: So 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 Greg Lambert is still top of the charts for avoiding swear words at all costs. He, he, he remained so, yeah, he remained so straight laced that (laughs) when we finished up that episode, Dean said to me, he said, Liam, I think you should cut out some of us swearing for that. We swore too much. And I said, Dean, we swore about as much as we normally do. It just looked really (laughs) depraved compared to Greg and his halo.
0: (laughs) yes um, so yeah don't forget um, you can check out uh, Liam and my uh, articles um, mainly Liam so on uh, hookedonwrestling.co.uk you can also download that pod, this podcast from from there or of course wherever you get your podcasts from so that brings an end to this episode we'll be back very soon with a Nitro watch along and some more pay-per-view reviews coming soon so on behalf of my co-host Liam Hat, this is me the Twisted Genius saying thank you so much for downloading this episode and I'll see you ringside